Hi there, it's great to have you with us. This is the podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Patrick. To the eyes of the world, one of the most startling things that the Catholic Church has is the fact that some people, both men and women, consecrate their entire lives and their entire selves to Jesus Christ. They are what we call consecrated people, or religious men and women. They're priests, nuns or sisters, and brothers. Men and women who make vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Today, we will see what this is all about and how that way of life is actually rooted in the gospel itself. During his life in this world, our Lord called several people to follow him. In many cases, it was a general call to basically embrace his teachings, the faith he was revealing to the world, and a life of virtue, of holiness. But in some other cases, he was calling to something more. In those cases that following Jesus meant to embrace the same way of life he was leading. It meant to go with him to travel around teaching the truth, baptizing people, helping those in need, witnessing with their lives the truth revealed by God. It meant to embrace the gospel in all its fullness. It meant to embrace a life of holiness, to live out the Beatitudes presented in Matthew chapter 5, verses 1-12, through and to live out the evangelical counsels of poverty, chastity, and obedience. The apostles were called in this way. That was the case of Saints Peter, Andrew, James, and John, as we read in the Gospel of St. Matthew chapter 4. We read, As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Up to there the gospel, right? Now, others were called as well, but seeing the level of sacrifice and commitment required by Jesus, decided not to follow him. And that was the case of the rich young man in the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 19, verse 21. This young man asked our Lord what he should do to enter heaven. And Jesus told him basically to fulfill the commandments. Now the young man responded that he was already living them out since his youth. And when he asked if there was anything else he could do, At that, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Now the young man, when he heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Up to there, the gospel. So, we see some cases in the gospel where people follow Christ and some other ones where they don't follow our Lord. Now, after the ascension of the Lord into heaven, he continued to call people to follow him. 
sometimes through interior promptings, sometimes through the preaching and example of other disciples of Jesus. So we see how some of the disciples gave up all that they had and put it in common with the other disciples, practicing what we would later call the vow of poverty. And this we read in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 32. Now the company of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of their things which they possessed was his own, but they had everything in common. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were possessors of lands, of houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to each as any had need. Up to there, the Acts of the Apostles. Now we read another in another part of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, that our Lord called St. Paul to follow him and to become a believer and an apostle to the whole world. There we read that Jesus himself appeared to St. Paul, although he had already ascended into heaven, Jesus, right? But he appeared to St. Paul and told him what to do. In essence, he was to dedicate or consecrate his entire life to Jesus Christ and to the salvation of his fellow men. Now, moving on from the scriptures to the early church history, a very important call to life of complete consecration was that of St. Anthony of the Desert. It happened in a very particular way, and this story is told in the life of St. Anthony, written by another great saint, St. Athanasius. Anthony lived in northern Egypt. He was born in the year 251 AD of wealthy parents, and after his parents had died, he and his little sister inherited all their wealth. Now, one day as he was going to Mass, which was something that Anthony did frequently, he was considering in his mind some of the examples I talked about before uh, of how the apostles were called and how the disciples were selling all that they had and were giving their money to the apostles. And when he entered the church, the priest happened to be reading the dialogue between Jesus and the rich young man, which we mentioned earlier. St. Anthony heard the words of St. Matthew, chapter 19. Jesus told him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give the money to the poor, and you will have a treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Now, Anthony took these words as if they had been said directly to him. He did not turn back like the young man of the gospel. He followed God's prompting. He left the church building and sold everything he had and gave it to the poor. He only kept a small amount to provide for his sister's upkeep. Now, when he went again to Mass on another day, he heard another text being read of St. Matthew chapter 6. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. So again, he understood those words as addressed directly to him. So he placed his sister under the care of some consecrated virgins that he knew and gave away everything that he had left. He first started to live imitating the lives of some other hermits he had heard of, still near to his own town, his hometown, working to earn his daily food. He led a life of work, of prayer, devotion, and good works, trying to learn from others around him the virtues that were proper to the follower of Christ. But then he realized that there was too much busyness there, 
So he retreated toward the desert to dedicate his heart more and more to God. This is where he lived most of his life, and others began to imitate him. He had a very deep prayer life, and he fought off many temptations and even attacks from the devil. He then began to organize the way he lived and encouraged others to do so, to live in the same way that he was living. And this is why he is considered one of the first men who organized what today is considered monastic life. Now, many others followed after him, adapting their way of life to the different situations in which they lived. St. Augustine of Hippo, for example, lived in northern Africa and was directly affected by the example of St. Anthony. Later was St. Benedict of Norcia, St. Francis of Assisi, St. Dominic, St. Ignatius of Loyola, St. Teresa of Avila, the founder of the Discalced Carmelites, and Mother Teresa of Calcutta, whom you've heard of. So all these saints are part of the tradition and development of what is religious life in the history of the Church. It is a vocation, a way of life that is rooted in the Gospel and developed in the history of the Church thanks to the work of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the hierarchy of the Church. As the Catechism teaches in number 918, 918, we read, From the very beginning of the Church, there were men and women who set out to follow Christ with greater freedom and to imitate Him more closely by practicing the evangelical counsels. They led lives dedicated to God, each in his own way. Many of them, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, became hermits or founded religious families. The Church, by virtue of her authority, gladly accepted and approved these different ways of living. Up to there, the Catechism. So what is religious life, right? So religious life, then, is a state of life a way of life in which one enters into by professing vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience for the rest of one's life according to a particular rule of life. Every baptized person is called to holiness, not just religious, not just members of religious orders. Everyone is baptized. Everyone who is baptized is called to holiness, to grow in the virtue of love of God and of neighbor, to live the spirit of the counsels of the gospel. However, those who embrace religious life oblige themselves to embrace holiness, to live that life of virtue according to the gospel, to put into practice in a radical way the evangelical counsels of poverty, of chastity, and of obedience through the profession of their religious vows. Again, the Catechism summarizes this uh, this concept, right, in number 916. It says, The state of consecrated life is thus one way of experiencing a more intimate consecration rooted in baptism and dedicated totally to God. In the consecrated life, Christ's faithful people, moved by the Holy Spirit, proposed to follow Christ more closely, to give themselves entirely to God, who is loved above all, and pursuing the perfection of charity in the service of the kingdom, to signify and proclaim the glory of the world to come. 
So the profession of the three religious vows is an essential element of religious life. Those three vows or counsels of the gospel are poverty, chastity, and obedience. So through the vow of poverty, the religious offer to God their right to have possessions of their own in such a way that he may become their treasure and there may be nothing that stands between them and God. They try to live out the spirit of poverty, following Christ, who, as uh, St. Paul says in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 8, he writes, Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by Christ's poverty you might become rich. So the idea is that the person who has professed the vow of poverty doesn't have anything to weigh them down or attach them to this earth. And so their soul can be raised more easily to the contemplation and love of God. The second vow is the vow of chastity. This vow of chastity helps the priest or the sister or the brother, the consecrated virgin, to configure themselves more to Jesus Christ, who gave a clear witness of embracing virginity for the kingdom of heaven. The purpose, then, of this vow is to help the religious person to love God with an undivided heart, as the Vatican Council says in the decree Perfecte Caritatis number 5. By giving up the possibility of forming a human family, by giving up the affection of a human love, and offering to God one's own sexuality, the religious allows his heart to open up more easily to the love of Christ and to extend his love and commitment to the entire church. The third vow, then, is the vow of obedience. And through this vow of obedience, the religious offer to God as a sacrifice the complete gift of their own intelligence and will, their entire personality, so that the most holy will of God and the love of Christ alone may live in them. It implies the promise to do in all things the will of God as manifested through the directives of their superiors. In this way, they imitate Jesus Christ more perfectly, who on entering into this world, he said to God, Behold, I come to do your will, O God, as we read in the letter to the Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. And also, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me, from St. John chapter 4, verse 34. So, that's a brief summary of what religious life is about. Why they are sisters, nuns, monks, brothers, and religious order priests who consecrate their lives entirely to Christ. Now this, that sounds sometimes very foreign to our society, is, sometimes we, is something we have experienced very recently in our Midas Christi community here in Michigan because we recently had a young man make his final profession of vows right here in Livonia, Michigan. We had a very solemn mass and a ceremony in which Brother Daniel Heffernan professed vows of poverty, of chastity, and of obedience for the rest of his life according to the spirit and constitutions of Midas Christi. And I will put a link in the show notes below to a video and some uh, very good footage of that uh, ceremony that was very, very beautiful. 
So next episode, we will interview him and ask him to tell us a little bit more about uh, how that went, how he discerned his vocation to be a brother in Midas Christi, and what was his experience when he professed his religious vows. So thank you very much for spending some time with me today. Please do support this podcast with your prayers. And please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts and rate us both in Apple and Spotify. And if you have any questions or comments on this or any other prayer episode, shoot me an email at info at fourcollegecatholics.org. I'd love to hear from you. So thanks for listening. May God bless you. And we will see you next time.